Hello, everyone, and welcome to Navigating the Noise, a podcast series brought to you by CHPA, the Corporate Housing Providers Association. I'm Brian David Johnson, your futurist and host for the podcast. Welcome to episode one of Navigating the Noise, where we're going to look at the future of corporations. Now, why the future of corporations? What does that mean for the future of corporate housing and long-term rentals? Well, I figure as a futurist, as we're going to look out to the future, we should think about where are corporations going. Just in general, what does the future of business look like? So as we start to move through the next coming years, we have some indicators of where companies, customers, and clients might be moving. So that's what we're going to discuss today on the podcast. As we do in all of our episodes, we'll examine our subject from multiple angles, getting different perspectives and ideas about the subject, first in general, but also how we might be able to apply it specifically to the future of corporate housing and longer term rentals. The podcast is broken up into three segments. First comes the road ahead, where I explore my futures research, looking outside the industry at the bigger picture. And to do this, I'll bring in a guest who has an interesting perspective or who might be doing some good research or work in this area. Next, Marianne Passy, the CEO of CHPA, and I will discuss the implications of these futures with industry experts in our section called What Matters. And then finally, we'll discuss pragmatic actions that you can take today to prepare for these futures in our final section called Three Things to Do. So with that, let's get started. So this is our road ahead section. And today we're going to explore two underlying forces that are driving change in the future of corporations. And they have real world implications for corporate housing and longer term rentals. The first underlying force is this idea of falling transactional costs. Essentially the cost of doing business is going down. It's getting smaller and smaller. And that will have implications not only to the makeup of corporations, but also to its employees and their expectations. And then the second underlying force is this idea that the digital nature of the 21st century company is changing, that they're becoming more and more digital. And we'll dive into that. There's some interesting visuals that we'll put up on the website and that we'll talk it through. But first, let's, let's start with this idea of falling transactional costs. So what does that mean? What, what is a transactional cost? Well, in 1937, there was a young economist by the name of Ronald Coase. And he published this brief essay called The Nature of the Firm, where he really got into this notion of transactional costs. And now Coase would go on to become a professor of economics at the University of, uh, he, excuse me, at the University of Chicago Law School. And he'd also win a uh, Nobel Prize for economics. But what Coase was looking at, that in the 20th century, the cost of doing business was so high that you started to see corporations gathering together, right? The cost of just doing business, the cost of machinery, the cost of office products, you know, everything from the fax machine to the factory floor, right? And so it all cost a lot of money. So you needed a lot of capital and the transactional costs were high. And so you saw them bringing everybody together. This is where you had not only sort of big corporate headquarters, but also you would have company towns, whole towns that were set up. And so you, this changed as we moved from the 20th century into the 21st century. 
So what we started to see driven by technology is that the transactional cost of doing business started going down and down and down. I'm sure we've all seen this, right? We've seen that the cost of sending a fax, nobody sends a fax anymore. So nobody needs a fax machine. The cost of goods and services continues to go down. So as these fall, we begin to see that the nature of the corporation, back to Kosa's idea, the nature of the firms begin to change. So companies begin to change. Now, what that means is that it becomes easier for people to pull together a corporation. So you see people spinning up small businesses and spinning them back down very quickly. You see them operating and doing business in a much more nimble fashion. So as we look out into the future and think about the implications to the future of the corporation, what that means is we're going to see two things starting to happen. Number one, because of growth, and we'll get into this in a moment under in our second underlying force, because of growth, we're going to have large companies getting larger to grow. They're maxing out the size of many other markets, so they're going to be merging and getting larger. So large companies and large corporations certainly won't be going away. They'll just be getting larger. But in interesting fashion, you'll see a lot of small companies. So a lot of companies kind of spinning up and going down and spinning up and going down. And I think this is really interesting because it provides a really different business landscape. And what I mean by that, it's not just the number of businesses, it's the values that they have. And what I mean by this, you have to go back to Kosa's work because he also began to see that these large companies and sort of high transactional costs also meant that you had a worker that was quite different. You had the company man and the company man, you know, had the, the uh, partner, they had the kids, they had the house with the mortgage. It was a very specific thing. And they worked for many, many years, stayed in the same place and has status symbols were things like the gold watch. And there's some interesting work that's being done by our guest, Greg Lindsay, who's going to be coming on soon, who's really looking at as transactional costs fall, we not only see more corporations and smaller companies, but the values, what people want, what people look for is beginning to change. Now, on top of that, let's look at our second underlying force. Our second underlying force is this idea that as we move into the 21st century, the nature of corporations are becoming more and more digital. Now, I want to tell you, I'm staring right now at a graphic, and we'll, we'll put this graphic up on, on the website. It's, it's nothing hugely special, but it's really important. What it is, is it's a list of companies. So it's a list of the most valuable companies ranked by their market value. So you look at them, and it's things like Apple and Alphabet, which is the holding company for Google. Google and Microsoft and Amazon and Berkshire Hathaway and Facebook and Exxon and Johnson and Johnson. And when you see these, what's really interesting about it is that the majority of them are not physical companies. What I mean by that is they don't make anything physical or the majority of what they do is moving around ones and zeros. So you look at Google or Microsoft or Facebook and these companies that are very highly valued are not making anything. Now, that is interesting, I think, on one level, because it means that the expectation of these companies are digital first. They're very comfortable with doing things in the digital realm, their tools, how they communicate with each other, how they run them, specifically looking at a company like Amazon that is founded on using digital technologies to drive down costs and bring up value for, for their consumers. So you'll have all these corporations and continue to see all these corporations have this sort of digital nature 
which they're very, very comfortable with, which I think has implications for this industry. But also as interesting is you're starting to see these digital companies because they need to continue to grow. They need to continue to show value for their shareholders. What's starting to happen is you're starting to see these digital companies move more and more into the physical world or the traditional world of corporations and economies. And I think the best example of that we saw back in 2017 where you had Amazon buy the grocery store Whole Foods. And this was a really interesting move because Amazon had been working in retail for many years, had been doing tests in New York and in Seattle, looking at how could they set up and run a store more efficiently. And in that efficiency, they found that they could reduce the cost of labor by having less people by automating the process. And so they came at retail like a digital company, not like a traditional retailer, like a digital company. And now what that means with Whole Foods is they're starting to bring their digital efficiencies to that physical world. And so I think as we look at the future of corporations, what will that look like when more and more corporations have that digital first mindset? How will it affect their approach to doing business? How will it affect their approach to tools? And more importantly, and this is where the Amazon and the Whole Foods example becomes really important, what Amazon and these digital companies are really good at is tracking efficiency, ruthlessly monitoring, is this process as efficient as possible? and then making changes. Again, even though they're a large company, they remain nimble and they continue to make changes. So as we look out to the future of corporations, I think it's a really interesting landscape where we see this bifurcation. So we're going to see large companies getting bigger. The, these larger companies like Amazon or Apple, they can't grow organically. Many of them have reached the bounds of their people. You know, How many more people can we get on Facebook? Now, certainly they can grow in other countries, but they need to grow by moving into other markets or by doing mergers. So we're going to see these companies getting larger and larger and larger. But then also we're going to see these smaller companies, these more nimble companies, which is, I think, a really interesting landscape for the, this industry. And then specifically, they'll be leading digitally first. So as you have these large and small companies, all of them will be very comfortable with these digital tools. Now, in our next segment, we're going to talk about, well, what matters in that? What does it mean for the industry? But before we do that, I want to get a little bit more information. So we're going to bring on a guest and dive into this idea of falling transnational costs a little bit more. Today on the podcast, we have Greg Lindsay. Now, Greg is a journalist. He's an urbanist and a futurist and a speaker. He is a senior fellow at New Cities and the director of strategy for its offshoot, LA Co-Motion an annual urban mobility festival in the Arts District of Los Angeles. He is also a non-resident senior fellow of the Atlantic Council's Foresight Strategy and Risk Initiative, a visiting scholar at New York University's Rudin Center for Transportation Policy and Management, and a contributing writer for Fast Company, and the co-author of Aerotropolis, The Way We Will Live Next. Now, this, the book Aerotropolis, I cannot recommend more. This is actually the book that uh, introduced me to Greg and Greg's work. Um, I did not know him at the time. It was so amazing that after I had finished reading it, I reached out to him um, uh, via uh, Twitter and, and started this conversation because I was so impressed by his work. So uh, it's a pleasure to have you on the show today, Greg. Thank you so much for having me, Brian. So Greg, on the show today, we are looking at the future of corporations. We're looking at specifically around falling transactional costs, you know, the work that Coase did, talking about transnational costs and the nature of the firm. 
And you've been doing some really interesting work around thinking about not only what that means for you know, corporations where we can have, we can spin up a lot of small companies and spin them down and there's a lot more freedom of movement because of technology, but you've also been looking at kind of how that changes the culture of, um, of these corporations. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about the work? Yeah, I, I first got interested in, in sort of the rise of shared workspaces. So, you know, five or six years ago, before WeWork was a $20 billion colossus, it was just another startup in stealth mode. And I actually worked out of their very first office uh, in Dumbo in Brooklyn. And, uh, and it led me to thinking about, you know, why, why were people choosing to work in these shared workspaces versus traditional office space or traditional employers? And that led me to think about, you know, how the culture of the office was changing. And, you know, if you, if you compare uh, the culture of work, of, of white collar knowledge work compared to, uh, you know, to like, you know, what, what Coase wrote about with transaction costs, you can see that, you know, that the mid-century firm, the wood paneled office, you know, and the, the huge corporate campuses of IBM and GE and others, I was related to this notion that it was really hard to find talent. And once you did, you wanted to coddle it. You wanted to keep them there as long as possible. And now, of course, with falling transaction costs, you now end up with, you know, free agent nation. And you end up with these sort of very loosely coupled networks of self-managed, self-driven people who are nesting inside these shared workspaces. They're using it almost as coral reefs, you know, to, to basically find, uh, find their next gig, find their next collaborator. And so I got really interested in sort of the change of the office as a container for doing work to a sort of platform that actually enabled you to work and to find new work. And how does this then change what people value? I know in some of your writing and some of your work that you've done, you've looked at, you know, at the, in the larger corporations, you got the gold watch, you got, you know, you were there for a long time. And now in these new, more flexible areas, you know, what people want, what people value is changing. What, what have you seen happening there? And what do you think that means for the future of corporations? Well, I mean, a couple of things. So, yeah, you know, the, the, the mid-century, you know, corporation had its own hallmarks, right, of success. It was the gold watch. It was the luxury car. It was the suburban house. Uh, any of us who've seen Mad Men, you know, can, can immediately envision that era all over again. And that's obviously changed to, you know, the sort of startup culture now, which is sort of very studiously casual and relaxed. And it sort of has some rigid hierarchies of taste. It's just sort of different. Um, but the other thing it's done is led to this sort of profusion of different types of status, right? So not only is there, you know, conspicuous consumption, you know, do you have the, you know, the right athleisure clothes, but also conspicuous production. You know, the, the greatest status signifier in startup culture is, you know, uh, who your VCs are and how much you raise in your last round. Um, so it sort of had these sort of changing symbols. And the other thing that I found, too, is that, you know, just as like every other media that we participate in, is it's fractured, right? Like, you know, none of us watch the same television. Uh, we all have our own filter bubbles. Um, the same thing has happened with taste and culture as well. Like there's this sort of portable culture. Uh, uh, Stowe Boyd, who's a, a friend of mine, has this notion of, you know, work culture versus corporate culture. Work culture is the culture that we take with us from job to job, wherever we go. And that's also a sort of culture of taste and style that we take with us. Uh, and so, you know, you have these sort of portable workforces that are going from place to place. And, and that sort of led, I think, too, to if you go to a lot of different offices, you see they have this sort of same very clean aesthetic. You know, it's been called the Brooklyn style or, or airspace or other things. And I think that's partly a response to the fact that, like, yeah, we expect that, that workers uh, have their own taste and they want this workplace to look the same. That's why you're seeing WeWork is now managing offices for IBM because the workers that IBM wants to hire uh, expect to work in a WeWork. They don't expect to work in a suburban IBM campus. Um, so it's one of the sort of really inter interplay, you know, there's, there's that classic thing that culture eats strategy for breakfast. Well, at a more macro sense, the opposite is true. The strategy of how you hire and find talent 
is actually producing these new sorts of cultures. So it's, yeah, it's sort of an iterative flow or a tension between the two. Yeah, and I think that what's really interesting about that, and as you can apply it in thinking about the future of corporations and what people want, as you say, we'll have different space requirements, what people value. People will gravitate to a certain space or a certain area because it embraces that culture, right? It embraces, like you said, the startup culture or this um, culture of, um, you know, the gig economy or what have you. Been. And a lot of it is driven by these sort of underlying forces, I think both of sort of falling transactional costs as well as the, the increasing digital nature of uh, corporations, right? We're seeing more and more companies becoming, becoming digital nature. So my, my last question to you, Greg, is so as you look out to the future of corporations and sort of what just the business of doing business looks like, where do you see things going? Well, you know, if you fall close to its logical conclusion, you end up in like the heat death of the corporation, right? Every, it completely atomized them into all individuals, which is not true, right? That's been happening for 20 years. And instead of like flattening out into everyone as an entrepreneur, uh, instead, you have the rise of, you know, these interesting new, you know, networks basically forming. So, you know, various networks of small firms, networks of entrepreneurs or, or freelancers. Uh, and so I think we're still in the early stages of at that, at that level, seeing what, the, what new corporate organisms will emerge. Uh, and then at the very top, you know, you see these continuing waves of consolidation. But even then, these corporations, these huge corporations are hollowing out, like rising numbers of temp and independent workers in them. So, so you, you know, there's this sort of real interesting period of churn that's happening right now that I think, you know, we're only in the early stages of seeing how it resolves into some sort of new form of life. Um, so, you know, that'll be interesting. And, and perhaps, you know, they'll organize around platforms. I mean, people have pointed to companies like Upwork. Uh, or, you know, the Ubers of the world, these various, you know, huge platforms that, are, that have uh, arisen to organize certain types of work. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see, like, what's the interplay between, you know, physical face-to-face workspaces and these platforms. Will we have, like, guilds reemerge, for example, where, you know, you exist in peer networks where you are helping each other learn or helping each other find work. Uh, I think we'll start to see the rise of corporate-to-corporate co-working, where you'll see uh, teams from different companies who have the same roles but different employers work side by side because you know you'll have less corporate politics but they'll be able to help each other solve problems faster if they're you know non-competitive kind of thing um so you know this this notion of like you work for one company and you go to the same job in the same space five days a week uh, i think is going to change pretty quickly and then the other thing you know the long-term trend is is that uh you know historically it's been about control you know companies controlled you and in exchange for the control they gave you perks they made you come to their office they, they monitor how much you worked and, and how long you worked uh, and today, you know, they're trying to do that digitally, right? Either they're watching your screenshots or you have this sort of people analytics as a new rise. But there's always been this drive towards autonomy. And, and I think the real cutting edge there, too, is it's just how much autonomy are these companies willing to give their employees, or the people they work with, you know, to really solve problems with no instructions or to really, you know, uh, enrich themselves. And, and I think that's going to be continue to be the cutting edge as well. Well, Greg Lindsay, listen, really amazing things for us to keep an eye on and for us to kind of dig into. But we want to thank you so much for being on the podcast today. We really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Welcome to the What Matters section of the podcast, where we take the broad futures we just explored and figure out what matters to CHPA members as well as corporate housing and the long-term rental industry. And to do that, I want to introduce my co-host for the segment, Marianne Passy, CEO of CHPA. Welcome, Marianne. Hi, Brian David. So 
As we heard in the previous segment, digital technology is fueling a change in the future of corporations. We'll see larger consolidated companies, but also a larger amount of smaller, more nimble companies that can spin up and spin down. Now, this, this change in the corporations really means that the makeup of your clients will and could change. They will get much larger from these growth strategies, but also at the same time, they could get much smaller. And both will be very, very savvy with technology. And we could begin to see that the efficiencies and the tracking and the process improvement that new technologies and tools could afford may move from being something that's preferred by clients to something that becomes a requirement. And this will provide opportunities, but it'll also broaden the market I think, I think as we start to see these smaller companies, I think the amount of people that can be served could get larger, but it also will mean that these digital tools will become more and more of a necessity. So really, what's the best way to meet the needs of these wide range of both small and large companies? And so to help us explore these questions and more, Marianne has brought on some guests for us today. Hey, Marianne, who did you bring for us today? We have a few CHP leaders with us today to help relate what you and Greg were talking about and, as you said, relating it to the corporate housing service department industry. So we have Jeff Brookhauser, CCHP, and he's the president and CEO of Premier Suites, Canada's only national corporate housing provider. His background also includes some franchise development, some major branding initiatives, and successfully increasing market share and revenues. He is also my current board boss, being CHPA's current board chair. We also have Dave Capel, CCHP, who is also a past chair of the CHPA board, another one of my former bosses, and he's currently president of Aboda by Reside. So his own company, originally an ESOP, was acquired last year. He's bringing that perspective uh, to today's discussion, and he was also really instrumental in Aboda creating innovative service solutions partnered with technology. So in his prior life, he was also a really big deal at Cardis, overseeing a $500 million real estate portfolio and the government real estate acquisition department. So hi, Jeff and Dave, and thanks for joining us today. It's great to be here. Thank you. Yes, thank you both gentlemen for coming. So Jeff, how about we'll start with you. So in your view and from what you've seen, what's the best way to meet the needs of a wide range of small companies and the desires of large conglomerates? Thanks for the question, Brian. I'd say that uh, you know the small accounts are quite different from large companies. And while I don't know exactly what they'll look like in the future, I can tell you that uh, the large companies represent far more transactions than do the small ones. So in an example, you know, on average in our portfolio, the small companies give us a couple of transactions a year and the large co is more like 30 or 50 transactions a year. So it takes 15 times more of the accounts to get the same volume from a small co than it does a large co. So what does that mean? I think it means that, you know, the challenges are gonna be keeping in touch and staying top of mind with a bunch more of accounts. Uh, and that we'll have to employ, you know, marketing and sales automation tools to be able to do that effectively and efficiently. So we have those things in place today, but I think probably we'll need to step up our efforts in the future. And as for large codes, as I said, they're quite different. They're process driven and they're driving for efficiencies. I think you said that in your earlier part of the podcast. And, and that will lead to, to probably some automation that we haven't seen yet today. So corporate housing units will probably need to be available online in real time 
And while many of us have talked about the desire to do that, none of us have really come up with a way to accomplish that yet. So I think that's probably something that will have to happen in the future um, to be able to meet the needs of uh, the large companies. Thanks for that, Jeff. Definitely, definitely some changes coming one way or the other. One way or the other. So, Dave, what do you think? What's what, what's the best way to to meet that meet the needs of both small and and large companies? It's a great question. Um, so, the, they they both want the same thing at the end of the day. I mean, we provide as a corporate housing provider, we provide similar boxes across the world, um, and inside the boxes has similar furnishings and furniture. It's it's really the the services and technology that set our companies apart. Um, as Jeff mentioned, the, the big differences between the large and small, I think we see the same thing. The, the small companies, they don't do a lot of transactions, so the job, their job descriptions are, are pretty diverse. You know, they're somebody that we have in con that we're in contact with, corporate housing or, or fulfilling a, a booking, maybe one out of a hundred tasks they have to do. Uh, versus the large companies, it's, it, they may just be that's all they that's all they manage as a corporate housing provider. So we end up spending a lot of time um, educating and managing and helping the, the small providers manage. So uh, technology is a big part of that and providing the service that they need. It's not just giving them what you think that they want. It's, it's actually listening to them, what their, what their uh, needs are from their corporation, what, what their goals are and helping to fulfill those, whether it be cost, uh, quality, um, uh, you know, big intern programs, little intern programs, whatever it is, working out a solution that works best for them. Yeah, thanks. Dave, and you can begin to see how, as, as you both said, that, that technology can help people remain nimble. But I think you're right. It's a good point. It's, it's understanding their needs. And as Jeff said, so the needs of the large companies and the needs of the small companies are somewhat different. But to your point, Dave, they're also somewhat similar. So, Jeff, let, let me ask you a, a follow-up here. So what are some of the surprising opportunities that could be revealed by these changes? As you start to look out at that, this landscape of changing corporations, what do you think could be coming that's, that's really positive? Well, I look at in the crystal ball, BDJ, and what I see is, you know, you mentioned earlier that large companies are expanding, and you also mentioned that you know, likely that wouldn't be done, um, you know, through just doing more of what they do, but probably acquiring other companies or acquiring new competencies, et cetera. So that to me suggests globalization and globalization uh, actually supports growth in the extended stay business travel world. So I think that bodes well for us. And I think it will also likely attract investment capital. And by that, I mean that, you know, people will be seeing this space as kind of an area that's growing in demand not just corporate housing, but extended stay hotels and maybe something kind of in between, like much like service departments in the UK. And so I think that'll attract investment uh, because you know you don't see double digit growth in many industries, uh, in many traditional industries anyway. So um, I think that's one thing. Uh, the other is there was this notion of portable workforces. And I think that also bodes well for extended stay business travel. And, you know, if we're seeing, you know, more portable workforces, I think we'll probably see fewer relocations in future, which is a big part of the business in North America, a big part of corporate housing business in North America. And I think we'll probably see more project-driven demand. And project-driven uh, driven demand kind of is a little different than relocations. It's, uh, it's probably a little less seasonal which is good. And uh, the other thing is that it, it makes us kind of rely on each other. 
uh, at the moment for uh, uh, for inventory because we can't house you know all of what we get in terms of demand for these projects. So I, it's interesting in the future. I think there's some things that really look good for the business, um, and so you know I'm I'm just very optimistic. Yeah, I agree with you, Jeff. I think that's something that's really interesting to me. And you bring up that that changing workforce and not only the changing makeup of the the entities like the corporation but the actual people themselves and that's actually a we're going to dive into that on, a, on another episode where we're really going to dig into what is that workforce like what do they want um and we've got some more kind of coming up on that so i couldn't agree with you more so dave what's what's your opinion like what, what are some of the surprising opportunities you see coming down the line yeah, I think in, uh, kind of piggybacking up what Jeff just said, um, I just literally yesterday had a had a meeting with uh, one of our larger clients, and uh, that client contact happens to live, uh, works works in Seattle, but lives in Phoenix, um, and actually commutes and has commuted for the last uh, nine years uh, to the job. So their fam family stayed in Phoenix, and and he comes up here, he says twice, you know, uh, two weeks out of the out of the four. Um, and he mentioned that, you know, he's seen an evolution over the, over the period of time that he's been in the job, uh, where even his, his direct reports, they went from all being, uh, you know, full-time employees that were, that were localized to some working, um, commuting like he does. And, and then, and there's some that's doing a combo, you know, depending on what their, what their own personal needs are. So I got the, I got the sense, um, based on that conversation that he's seen more of a trend that, uh, mobility may may slowly uh, not be a thing. It may slowly dwindle, and that um, you know the cost of re relocating and the desire for people to move to certain areas. Um, but with technology and you know how easy it is to, to jump on a plane these days, um, I think we're going to see more remote remote uh, employees, which I think is a, a down. It's a downturn, as Jeff mentioned, potentially to our relocation business. But I think there's an opportunity there for. The short-term need, um, short-term temporary housing, when people come to work, when they have to be on site, whether it be a week or two um, of, of the month. So our, our our length of stay may change, um, but I think the mobility will will continue to to be a big part of um, uh, you know these these large corporations and and, and their employee force to be to be uh, supportive and and uh, and nimble in, in what they do to, to acquire great talent. Yeah, and that's that's a, a point that uh, that Greg Lindsay, um, who was a previous guest on the show earlier in the uh, in the podcast, really really brought that out. So yeah, I, I completely agree. You know, I've got a question, Brian David, if I could ask um, both Jeff and Dave uh, real quickly, based on uh, some of the conversation that um, you and Greg had. You know, mentioning smaller companies, tracking efficiencies, and innovating to meet client needs and how those client needs continue to evolve. Um, I know from conversations with some member companies that they have needed to gone out to go outside of their core businesses because their clients, either corporate housing providers or corporate clients, have needed them to do so. So I was just wondering if um, Jeff and Dave, you could share uh, how your companies become more efficient in response to some of the client demands that you're seeing uh, today in the industry. So I think, Marianne, that, um, you know, what we're seeing is that clients, different clients need different things. And, you know, some are concerned about only cost, and those are becoming less and less. Some are becoming more concerned about health and safety and, quote, the duty of care uh, that they are responsible for. And so, 
you know, it's evolving as it has in the past. And, you know, we just kind of have to keep in touch with you know, each of those individual needs and be nimble enough to be able to uh, respond to those. Yeah, absolutely. I think, and especially when you consider technology, um, when there's the transfer of information, whether it be the PCI, PCI compliance or, um, you know, the GDPR with the EU now, um, uh, transferring of data and, and, and information um, not only makes, you know, using technology makes it more efficient, um, so you, you, you reduce labor costs for, and eventually those cost savings go back to the clients, but um, with that with that technology provides, also is a responsibility, duty of care of the information. Um, so I think the companies that um, have that nailed down to, to, to their best of their ability and have it secure and do it the best um, are gonna are gonna be the ones that uh, have the opportunity in the future. Yeah, I see some some commonalities, both uh, Jeff and Dave, from uh, from what you've both said. That you know, as as we look out to the future of corporations, um, that you know, we do see in this the shift where you have very large corporations and small corporations. That there's certainly opportunity, but that opportunity comes with a little bit of complexity, and that complexity really leans on possibly technology. But it's not technology alone. It just it also seems to be kind of nimble, knowing that there will be change, right? And if you can remain nimble, then being able to react to that change, because oftentimes a lot of these changes will be very local, very local to your markets, very local to your clients, that, that being able to remain nimble, not only through technology, but as an organization is gonna be really, really important. Uh, yeah. So Jeff and Dave, thank you so much for coming on. Really, really great insights. I think um, a lot for us to think about and a lot for us to talk about and a lot for us to really lead us into our um, our final section around three things to do. But before I uh, go down there, um, and we start doing that with Marianne and I, I want to say, Marianne, great job, great guests. And Jeff and Dave, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the third and final section of the podcast, Three Things to Do. Now, this is the section where we take the high-level features that we've talked about as well as some of the industry insights and actually apply them specifically to you. What are, what are three steps you can take Monday? That's what I like to say to people as I'm doing futures work. We can talk about what's coming in the future in the long term. We can talk about some steps that might be taken, but I think for a lot of people, they just want to know, what do I do Monday? What are, the, what are the three things I can do? And that's really where this section came from is people wanted those pragmatic next steps. And so I think as we think about the future of corporations, um, some of the three things to do, the first is, is to watch. You may not have to do anything, but you just have to watch. You have to watch for these changes in your market. We've talked about different indicators, both big and small, big companies and small companies. So watch your market and be prepared, not only for large mergers, but also keep an eye out for that new little company, for that new kid on the block, because it might just be a growth area for your new market. And you know, uh, Brian, David, a couple of things that I've heard members talk about uh, in our local events um, in terms of being able to keep an eye out for the changes in the market, as you're mentioning, are connecting with their chambers of commerce and taking some active uh, roles uh, and being engaged with them uh, and, and going beyond and doing some, uh, some more research uh, on any new companies that are listed in their local business journals. So those are just a couple of things that I hear our members talk about at Network Connections when they're talking about changes in the market and who's coming around. And, um, and then they figure out a creative way uh, 
to connect with these new companies. Yeah, and I think that's a great way to to apply it, Marianne. I mean, it's uh, probably anybody who's listening to this, who's doing business and who has done business for any amount of time, understands that you need to market yourself, you need to get out there, you need to network. The idea of going to chambers of commerce or commerce or you know different professional groups, everybody's probably doing that anyway. But now, from navigating the noise and from how we've sensitized you thinking about how corporations might be changing, now just have that in the back of your mind as you're going and meeting these new folks. You know, are they a part of a large company that's coming to town? Are they a part of a merger that has been brought into town? Or, you know, who's that, who's that new kid on the block that is really, really nimble and that you might be able to serve? So I think, yeah, you can kind of apply it to regular business strategies that we all do just to be successful. Um, but have a, a different different lens, if you will. So I think that's the, the first of the three things to do is to watch, watch what's going on. I think the mm-hmm. second is to develop a strategy to serve those smaller companies. If you are currently sort of serving a large companies or if you certainly certainly have sort of larger markets, do you have a strategy to serve those small, nimble companies that might spin up and spin down? And if you are serving those small companies, do you want to serve the larger companies? Again, I think that's a goes back to uh, what uh, Jeff and Dave were saying around ROI. Like, is it worth it? Because those companies want different things. Where the small companies want to be nimble, have specific needs. The larger companies are really driven by efficiencies, right? They're really driven by driving down that cost. And is that ROI work for you? I think for some people it might, and for some others it might not. But making sure that you have a strategy with these things in mind, knowing that the future of corporations are gonna see these shifts to sit down, whether it be for you by yourself as a business owner or for you with your management team and say, well, what is our strategy? Let's just take a half an hour, let's take a lunch and kind of kind of pencil that out, at least so you're prepared when it starts to happen. You know, it's really interesting, Brian David, that you're talking about that because this is something that the CHPA team and CHPA leadership is doing as well uh, because the vast majority of our members are smaller companies. And so we're looking at, uh, as we're committed as an organization, to help supporting them and giving them the best business intelligence and and data that they need, uh, such as these podcasts, um, to be successful in today's evolving industry. Um, we're also looking to see, okay, how what do our smaller member companies need and what do our medium-sized companies need and what do our larger member companies need? And so we're going to be continuing to survey members, get some feedback from them on what they need from us in order to continue uh, being successful in the industry and then bring that to them. So um, it's it's just interesting how this all ties in together. Yeah, it's really Marianne, it's kind of both sides of the coin, right? What we're saying is, number one, understand the needs of both big and small customers and clients, but then also CHP is not only doing that, but also understanding the needs of small and uh, larger uh, members as well. That's great. Yeah, it's a kind of a two-side-of-the-coin type thing. So that's number two. Exactly. So number three, number three is one that we're going to come back to time and time again. Everybody knows I'm a technological futurist. I've got that bent to what I do. Uh, but time and time again, we've heard and we've got uh, podcasts that are coming up um, on Navigating the Noise that will explore different facets of this. But we'll always come back to this is to develop your digital strategy, develop your digital tool strategy, have an understanding. I'm not saying you have to implement it, I'm not saying go out there and start you know, buying software or partnering or doing those things. But again, with yourself or with your, your management team, 
have an understanding, you know, what is your strategy? Because we know there's not going to be less technology in the future. That's one of the things we do know and that we heard from our guests, uh, whether that be Greg or Jeff or Dave, we know that this technology is going to play a role and we're going to play an increasing role. And I think for the future of corporations, especially around those digital tools, how you're connecting, how you're marketing, how you're giving power over to your clients so that they might have some power over what they're doing, is going to be really important. And I think now for many people, it could be just a nice to have. I think as we move forward, it might be preferable to some customers and others. But I really believe as we move further and further into the future, it's going to become a requirement. And I think that's one of the things that we're here to do in navigating the noise and bringing together all this information is to make sure that you're prepared. To not scare you and not say, to, to you know, ring the alarm bell, but to go, take a moment, you know, think about it, have a strategy, see what that ROI is, but know that as we move into the future that these tools are increasingly going to become more and more part of this industry. And I think that's just part of everyday life. Uh, so even as we're recording this, I'm at a conference and uh, all of the talk is about uh, being sure that everyone has a digital strategy in place. So with the, I think Dave mentioned uh, GDPR, um, with all of the requirements that are coming down, requirements that are changing, you need to strategize around how you protect your company, how you protect your clients, how you protect all of that information. Um, and just with the customization that everyone is used to in everyday living, uh, you need to be able to figure out how to reach these people and make that um, an, ease, an easy transaction uh, for them as well. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So those are your three things to do, um, is that you want to kind of watch for those changes that we've mentioned that at the, at the top of the show, really start developing that ROI-based strategy for a big and small company like we talked about with uh, Jeff and Dave, and then just get started, roll up your sleeves, start getting that digital strategy in place. And we're going to continue to talk about that. We'll give you more information about that. Um, and certainly, if you've got any questions, you can uh, reach out to us. But before we wrap it up, I want to say, Marianne, thank you so much. That was a great conversation, some great guests. I'm, I'm really looking forward to the, the guests that you're going to be bringing on in the subsequent episodes. But uh, it was a great first episode. Well done. It really was. Thanks, BDJ. All, uh, all of it's, a lot of it is thanks to you. So thank you, everyone, for listening to Navigating the Noise podcast brought to you by CHPA. So reach out to us and let us know what else you'd like to hear about what else you'd like to ask BDJ or to just stump the futurist by asking really hard questions that he has to think about uh, and get you some answers. And you can email those to me at map at chpaonline.org. You can follow us on Twitter at chpaonline or visit our website at www.chpaonline.org. Thanks everyone for joining us here on Navigating the Noise brought to you by CHPA. We'll talk to you again soon.